Hi, everyone. Welcome back, and thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dave Giancola from the USGA, joined, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Mike Trosel. Mike, how are you today? Dave, doing great. Excited for this one. As am I. We are so excited to be joined by Nathaniel Crosby, captain of the victorious 2019 USA Walker Cup team at Hoylake, who will look to repeat this upcoming May as he once again captains the USA team, this time down at Seminole Golf Club in Juneau Beach, Florida. Before becoming a Walker Cup captain, however, he had a phenomenal competitive playing career, winning the 1981 US Amateur at the Olympic Club, garnering low amateur honors at the 1982 US Open, at Pebble Beach and playing on the 1983 Walker Cup team before going on to a professional career. And yes, in case you're Googling it, he's also the son of legendary entertainer Bing Crosby and actress Catherine Grant. So Captain Crosby, you've got quite the resume and background. I know I left some things off, but we got to get moving. Thanks so much for joining us today. And how are you? Doing great. Great to be with you. Well, Captain Crosby, an honor to speak with you again. And now for those who aren't familiar uh, the Walker Cup's been around for almost 100 years. It's two days of matches between the best amateur golfers from the United States and the best amateurs from Great Britain and Ireland. Now, for newer fans or those who typically just watch pro golf, what, in your opinion, makes the Walker Cup special and why should they tune in to watch? You know, I, I just think that there's a, a, a tendency now to, to watch these young players emerge and hit their primes at a younger age. And I think that's kind of created some attraction to to watching college golf, which now the Golf Channel covers. And I think the Walker Cup is the best of the best from from both sides. You know, GB and I and uh, just Great Britain and Ireland, as, as well as our top 10 players in the United States. And gives you a great uh, look and you start to identify or or have your own marquee players from amateur golf and uh, and then follow them to see know how many of them go on to become superstars or stars on the PGA tour. So as these guys emerge and hit their primes, I think in their mid twenties or even, you know, even younger now. Uh, so it's really fun to watch them and, and follow the next generation of superstars. I couldn't agree more. It's just a fantastic perspective to get to see these players when there's so much on the line in their amateur careers. And Captain, for those that may not know what goes into being a captain of a Walker Cup team, obviously there's the motivation perspective on the course when these guys are grueling through these matches. Then there's the strategy aspect as you set up the morning and afternoon in the two-day event. What goes into the strategy aspect and also that motivation aspect? And what did you learn from 2019 from that perspective? Well, I don't know that there's that much strategy for a captain um i think the the great britain and ireland side get uh, exposed to playing alternate shots we play alternate shots saturday morning singles in the afternoon and uh the same on sunday and i just think that these guys you know their their physical education in grade school and middle school and high school involves golf and they play uh, alternate shot from a very young age in in full uniform <laughs> the whole regalia and uh you know, we just don't do that. They, we just don't get exposed to the alternate shots. And we could have um, gotten stumped last time. We were looking to come from uh, – we came from behind, but we could have been four down after the uh, morning match or by after the first day uh, in Royal Liverpool if it wasn't for our hero, John Pock from Florida State, who won the last two holes to win his match instead of losing it. So it looked like we were going to be four down all because of uh, – putting ourselves in a hole from alternate shots, which they're just more, more comfortable with. 
Well, Captain, you mentioned John Pock, and, and the team is set for this year. He'll be back again, along with Cole Hammer and Stuart Hagestad, three returning players from the 2019 team that you had out at, at Hoylake. What do each of them bring to the table? Uh, Cole Hammer, John Pock, and Stuart Hagestad, both as individual players and as teammates. Well, I called Cole Hammer, who's one of my pets from way back, because I saw him have his remarkable summer. Almost every I walked almost every hole of his remarkable summer uh, in 2019, where he it looked like he was going to be the medalist and the winner of the U.S. Amateur, uh, and he was medalist and winner of the Western Amateur that year, and that's never happened before. But he ran into this guy named Hovland, uh, who shot 60. He was I think nine under through 16 holes on uh, poor Cole. But Cole is, you know, just done so much at such a young age. I, don't, I think he's barely 20 years old and. University of Texas standout and, um, you know, just has an incredible resume and really uh, <laughs> I'd love to bet on him for the next 20 years. So, you know, very excited about having him back as a, as a veteran on the Walker Cup and Stuart Hagestad, who is our mid-am champ, has uh, been to the, got to the quarterfinals, the U.S. Amateur at Bandon Dunes and the final 16 at Pebble Beach the year before. I think he'll win a U.S. Amateur before it's over with and likely win three or four mid-ams. So just, uh, you know, he's a mid-am that might play all four matches for me. And um, John Pock is undefeated, 3-0. and um, I think maybe the first Walker Cupper with uh, two diamond stud earrings in his lobes. But we love that. We love his personality. And, uh, you know, he's the he's the uh, – He's the biggest personality on the team and, and keeps everybody loose and, you know, has a tremendous, tremendous game. Yeah, those three players are just so impressive, especially in, in the big events they've already played. You know, Cole Hammer famously at 15 years old playing it at Chambers Bay, that iconic shot of him kind of closing his eyes, picturing that first tee shot, the first tee jitters. It was an iconic shot of just 15-year-old Cole Hammer. John Pock, obviously low amateur last year at Wingfoot, a tremendous week up at Mamaroneck, New York, and then Stuart Hagestad. I mean, his resume goes on and on. Third consecutive Walker Cup, and you talked about the USAM appearances and US Open appearances. But on to the newcomers on the roster. You've got seven newcomers, tremendous resumes, uh, each their own. Any first-timers you want to highlight here that you're excited to have in red, white, and blue down at Seminole? Well, I don't want to leave anyone off, so I'm <laughs> going to say I'm excited to have each and all of them on the team. I think you know, Ricky Castillo is an amazing uh, new prospect. I watched him uh, uh, get to the semifinals of the Western Amateur the last two years, and, and uh, you know, again, you know, it was a crooked stick last year. He was kicking himself and upset about the entire week for only making it to the semifinals. This, he got sick before the uh, U.S. Amateur, so couldn't play. But I expect this guy to win a U.S. Amateur uh, before it's over with. He's just a sophomore at University of Florida right now. Davis Thompson is an amazing standout. He won the Jones Cup a year, year and a half ago, or just over a year ago by nine shots, I think, and then missed by a shot this year. Uh, not putting very well, but finished second. And I expect Davis Thompson to be, uh, you know, one of our star star players. But uh, a lot, lots of lots of other great, uh, you know, sticks on the team. And uh, you know, I've been watching them for for some time. So it should be um, it should be really fun to to get the new chemistry going and and get all of these guys back in order. Now, I'd imagine there are a lot of emotions being a part of this match as you did as a player back in 1983 and now coming up in your second time as a captain. 
Now, from the opening ceremony and the flag raising to all the toasts and the dinners and the team bonding, Captain, what sticks out most to you from from the Walker Cup? Well, it's, it's just an amazing uh, part of history. I think I think uh, to be a Walker Cup player, uh, regardless of what happens with the rest of your career, it's something you carry on your uh, on your self esteem chart the rest of your life. It's something you've done, and uh, you know it's it's uh, absolutely a blast uh, to to have that uh, in your hip pocket on a rainy day for when you might be down or, or not feeling so good about yourself. So, you know, some guys, you know, the odds on looking at the history of this event, 50% of these guys will go on to be successful PGA tour players. Some won't make it on the PGA tour. Some will play for a few years and, um, and bow out. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you've got yourself, you got your name in Wikipedia, you got your name in the encyclopedias and, and, uh, you've accomplished something, you've represented your country and, and that's something that lasts a lifetime. Yeah. The tradition, the pageantry and the memories are something we hear about over and over when it comes to the Walker cup and, and Curtis cup. Now, moving on to the course Seminole golf club, obviously a bucket list type of course for a lot of folks out there that love the game of golf, but it hasn't been seen too much by the general public. It was highlighted in 2020, obviously when everyone was starving for sports and there was the TaylorMade driving relief charity competition, uh, which pitted, uh, Matthew Wolf and Ricky Fowler, the, uh, OSU Cowboys against Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson, quite the duo on the other side. So it has been seen recently, but not too widely. For those that aren't that familiar, Captain, what are your impressions of Seminole? What makes it special? And what type of game do you need to tame Seminole? You know, it, you know, it really kind of depends on um, the, the uh, climate. <laughs> because if we get a little bit of rain, the course will play soft and the greens will still be tricky and fast. But uh, the, the difficulty of Seminole is the is the angles to the greens. You just have to be coming in from the right angle, probably a little less of a, of a criteria for these guys because they hit the ball down an elevator shaft. They hit it so high, but um, you know, you, the greens, because they're general, when they're firm, the greens uh, are about one third of the actual target. You have to hit a shot against the wind so that the ball, you know, sits and, and doesn't, uh, roll. You can't swing the ball with the wind. In other words, so if you have a right to left wind, if you had a draw, the ball's just simply going to roll sideways across the green and down into a bunker. So the approaches are really the trick to the course. The course isn't that difficult off the tee. Uh, from a length standpoint, they've added a you know maybe six or seven hundred yards to the back tees, um, which the members never see. But uh, you know I've, I've watched a lot of the guys out there. I've got Tyler Strafasi, our US Am champ playing with me this afternoon and uh, they 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 can get the course but uh, on a windy day it's just very hard to beat the course and uh, par is a good score for uh, for most matches on a windy day if it's soft and the wind's not blowing then uh, these guys can you know they could they could beat a 12,000 yard course under those circumstances Yeah, Captain, I know Seminole has a, a statistic down there. Greens visited in regulation, right? Balls that hit the green and then wander off somewhere down uh, into a bunker or a collection area. So be great to great to see. And I think Seminole will be a, a fantastic test for match play, especially in the Walker Cup. I, I, I agree. It, it'll be um, it'll be the same for everyone. These uh, these GB&I guys have been around since 
you know, the beginning of the year, uh, Rory McIlroy's dad, Jerry McIlroy, has been hosting them because he's a member there. And they've literally taken up residence and they've been hanging out, getting a lot of reps at the course. So I, uh, I put a horse's head in Jerry's locker the other day to give him a little <laughs> bit of a warning that to keep these guys off the course, uh, we don't want them to get too much of a, a, a home course advantage. It's, it looks like they might have the home course advantage after probably playing it 20 times each. Now, now, Captain, uh, it seems like you absorb, absorb your love of golf from your dad, going back to, to your origins and your journey in the game. When did you first take up golf, and what are your memories of playing with your dad on the course? Well, my dad was great at one-on-one, and golf was a great vehicle to, uh, to develop father-son relationships. So we must have played from, from the time I was age 9 or 10. We must have played a 150 rounds a year every weekend and golf trips to Scotland and to Mexico. And, and um, you know, we would just uh, build our, our, our schedules around it. And, um, you know, we loved uh, sports together, but I, I, we had a big backyard. So I was probably hitting the plastic golf balls or chipping the real golf balls from the age of three in the backyard and then graduated to the course and taking lessons when I was about seven or eight. So um, just a great bonding for my dad and I, and, uh, he wasn't around to watch me win the U S amateur, but was around to watch me win the Burlingame club championship where he promptly told my mom, it was the happiest day of his life. And she thought he ought to reconsider the comment. <laughs> uh, Captain, uh, you grew up in Northern California and you obviously had some USGA championship success in that region as well. We talked about it, uh, you know, winning that 1981 US amateur at the Olympic club up in San Francisco and then garnering low amateur honors at, of course, obviously your family, uh, is well associated with Pebble beach in that 1982 US open. Uh, you talked about the, the, the playing relationship with your father. What did it mean to have that type of success, you know, in that area and, and specifically Pebble Beach? Well, it might have been a little bit of divine intervention on, uh, on at Olympic Club, uh, you know, as I came back from matches and so forth. But, you know, I was a good young player. I was medalist in the junior. We keep forgetting the medalist in the junior. That's what I left <laughs> off your resume, Captain. <laughs> I, I, uh, I always joke when everybody's surprised that I hit a good shot in one of my social games. I was like, hey, they don't give those you- – USGA medals out to just anybody, <laughs> but it meant a lot to me to, you know, to, you know, be at home and winning the U S amateur, you know, sleeping in my own bed and having my friends from high school and, and so forth, come out to watch me play. And, and a lot of my Northern California, uh, junior golf competitors that came out and watched me, uh, play as well. And, uh, the same thing in the, in the U S open at Pebble beach where I beat Corey, uh, for low am and, uh, Corey Pavin, but I was running my dad's tournament at Pebble Beach at the time, so I was getting a lot of undeserved publicity and in uh, finding my way into the sports pages without any real accolades. And then, you know, to actually do something, uh, I, I got uh, more more uh, publicity than I probably should have gotten from uh, winning a U.S. Amateur. But uh, it was it was great to do something uh, that complemented uh, my getting all of this undeserved publicity for hosting my dad's tournament. 
And talking about your dad's tournament, obviously it was known as the Crosby Clambake, the Bing Crosby National Pro-Amateur, now the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am that all of us are so used to watching, especially us in the Northeast when, when we're waiting for golf season to emerge here. What does it mean to you to see uh, how that event's evolved and, and the buy-in from both the, the pros, the celebrities, and, and just the attention it gets uh, at such a great area and such a legendary place? You know, my heart is still with uh, Pebble Beach and the whole area. And, and uh, my wife and I have positive marriage problems because she wants us to spend time in Aspen. And I'm like, I want to buy a house at Pebble Beach to go with the to go with the Florida uh, deal. So uh, I'd love to spend time in Northern California in my in my golden years here. But, um, you know, the, the whole tournament out there, uh, dad was the founder of the Pro-Am concept, uh, he started the Pro-Am in 1937, and he was the founder of so many things from frozen concentrate orange juice to, to uh, you know, sports magazine uh, TV shows with American sportsmen and Rune Arledge and Kurt Gowdy, but uh, uh, not to mention Christmas shows. But my dad was the founder of, uh, you know, transcribing radio broadcasts but, uh, with AMPACs. But uh, the Pro-Am format didn't exist until 1937 when he started the Pro-Am at Rancho Santa Fe, and he brought it up at the suggestion of the PR director at Pebble Beach, a guy named Ted DeRine, after World War II, and brought the, the concept up to uh, Pebble Beach, where they used the three courses at the time, which was Cypress Point, Pebble Beach, and Monterey Peninsula. Um, so, you know, the, the tournament itself is very much the same as it was through the years. It's a blend of the best golfing professionals in the world and uh, celebrities, both from Hollywood and uh, the musical world, actors and uh, athletes. And uh, dad's formula hasn't really changed. I think they have, uh, it was 180, 168 amateurs and 168 pros. Back when I was hosting, now they've reduced the field to kind of get the the uh, speed of the round in. Uh, so I think it's down to 154 pros and 154 amateurs so that they can play in less than five hours or five and a half hours. But um, it's still great to watch. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to play in, I think, 22 or three uh, of the tournaments, three or four as a pro, and the rest as, ams, as an amateur. And, um, you know, I've kind of used my tickets. I don't think I need more experiences with it, although I'm tempted to uh, try to ask one of my uh, Walker Cup players for a date, uh, or at least pair him up with my my son, who's a scratch golfer. Uh, I've got two boys, both enthusiastic golfers. One scratch, and the other's about a, a nine or ten handicap. So maybe the next generation of Crosby's will have a crack with uh, at that tournament with my uh, Walker Cup uh, alumni. Well, golf certainly has been a big part of your family. Talked about your sons, but you know, as far as your dad goes, for everything that he accomplished. Some people may not know he was a really outstanding player, won, won several club championships and played in both the U.S. Amateur and British Amateur as well. When we were walking at the Walker Cup at Royal Liverpool, you told me a story about a good luck charm that you carried during the week of the 81 U.S. Am. Can you share that story, that good luck charm that you carried uh, the week you won? Yeah, I was mistakenly uh, uh thought that a, a medal that I wore around my neck during the USAM at Olympic club was my dad's contestants medal from playing in the 1940, uh, wing foot. It was actually contested in 1941 and he played in 1940. I found out about it, uh, you know, a month or so after the event, 
But during the week, uh, Dave Marr was on the broadcast with Bob Rosberg, and these guys were both friends of mine and friends of my dad's from from uh, being the uh, network team with Jim McKay uh, for Dad's Pro-Am. And uh, they were honing in and doing close-ups on me, rubbing my dad's contestants medal every time I had a critical putt in a match from four or five or six feet, I would be rubbing that thing and, and, uh, you know, for good luck. So, you know, definitely uh, a Hollywood script that I was doing organically. So at any rate, it was, um, it was, it was definitely uh, pleading for divine intervention, which I think uh, came through for me that week. I think it did. And we're looking forward to seeing what happens in early May down at Seminole. Uh, Captain, we really appreciate you joining us today. We're so excited for the Walker Cup. It's right around the corner. And we look forward to seeing you in person down there in Florida soon. All right. Well, I got to give a shout out to the guys that I didn't mention because I love all my team. I think I got a great team. <laughs> Go for it. And I didn't I didn't mention a couple of guys there, but uh, we're very excited to have Austin Eckrot on the team who looks like he's going to be PG, he's PGA tour ready and Pearson Kudu, who I watched win the uh, uh, Western amateur last year is a, uh, you know, a phenomenal addition of the team. And I played with uh, or watched William Mao and Quade Cummins who are also total standouts. So we're, we're very ready, even though these GB and I guys had some extra reps um, and uh, looking forward to another successful event. Absolutely. Thank you, Captain, again for joining us. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. And thanks, everyone out there, for joining us. Again, the 48th Walker Cup will be played at Seminole Golf Club on May 8th and 9th, and the two-day event will have comprehensive coverage on Golf Channel and Peacock, so keep an eye out for the official announcement of the broadcast schedule coming soon. It's an incredible event with a ton of tradition and pageantry, and oh, by the way, riveting match play golf. We cannot wait. So for our guest, Captain Nathaniel Crosby, and my co-host, Mike Trossel, I'm Dave Giancola, and we'll see you at the Walker Cup.